Hello, smart settlers. This is producer Paul. And today, Dana's guest is Chester Elton, executive coach, keynote speaker, and award-winning author of such works as The Carrot Principle and Leading with Gratitude. He's been called fascinating by fortune and creative and refreshing by the New York Times. Please welcome Chester Elton. Hey, Chester. Hey, how are you? Great to be on your show, Dana. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. Oh, we're so glad to have you. And and one more works of yours that I love myself is all in. And that's not talking about poker, is it? <laughs> no. You know what? I'm so glad you brought that up. It's one of my favorites, too, because it, it, to me, it's one of our foundational works around culture. In fact, you know, we, we have a training company that we named The Culture Works, because when your culture works, everything else gets so much better. For, so thanks for that shout out. Absolutely. And you have been instrumental in my life. And for our listeners, I know Chester in several different ways. I hired him many, many moons ago. I think it was 2006 to be a keynote speaker at a big event that we had talking about the carrot principle. And I will never forget those stuffed carrots that you were tossing around the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Garrett the carrot. We've uh, he's gone through a lot of iterations, and uh, we even graduated to uh, frisbees for the guys way in the back. So uh, yeah, so we have a lot of fun when we speak at conferences. So for those of you that haven't had the pleasure of seeing Chester in action, all I can tell you is he's just as good virtually as he is live. There's a lot of energy, a lot of passion, and probably my most favorite thing is so much authenticity. And today we're going to talk about gratitude and appreciation and something that we don't have enough of, especially right now. And Chester is known, along with his business partner, as an apostle of appreciation. How did you get that moniker? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it's always better when somebody else gives you, you know, your moniker. And when we wrote The Carrot Principle, uh, my co-author, Adrian Gostick, and I, we both grew up in Canada. And it was the Toronto Globe and Mail that after they read The, the Carrot Principle, they gave us the moniker, The Apostles of Appreciation. And we've had a lot of fun with that, Danny, because we, we did some work in, in Bonn, Germany with DHL. And they, they took up the mantle and they called us the deacons of Dankeschön, you know, the, the ministers of motivation, the high priests of praise. One of my favorites was when we were at one conference, they called us the Dalai Lamas of workplace traumas. <laughs> That's pretty good stuff. That's a good jump start. So let's talk about something that is so important for people, which is finding ways to give and receive gratitude, which sometimes really makes uh, your brain do a 180 because we're not that conscious of it. So what would be the first piece of advice you'd give our listeners as to how to make the conscious compromise of choosing to give and or receive appreciation and gratitude? Well, it's such a great question. You know, when we started to write uh, leading with gratitude. Obviously, it was we had no idea a pandemic was coming, and yet it seems like the timing is is really right on this. That when you're sheltering in place or when you're not able to do those things that you hope to do, whether it was take a vacation or have a, a company conference or just be with your loved ones, that there's this idea that my world is getting smaller and smaller, and no one wants to be forgotten. Right. And so when, when people you talk about giving and receiving gratitude, I, I say to leaders in particular, there are two words that I think are critical. But one is to be intentional and the other is to be disciplined. The idea of being intentional is 
when those people's uh, names pop into your head that maybe you haven't talked to in a while or you're a little worried about and just haven't found the time to reach out, go ahead and do it. Be disciplined enough to just reach out. Send them a text, you know, call them on their, on their mobile or set up a little Zoom, you know, tea or whatever you want to call it and make sure that those people are included. What I love about that intentionality is that it brings back to what our parents taught us when we were just, you know, four and five years old, that it's always better to give than receive. Because when you give, you always receive. And what I love about that intentionality and discipline is that when you do it on a regular basis, whatever medium you want to use, the ripple effect and, and, and the reverberation that comes back to you is so affirming and so helpful for you, the leader or you, the parent or you, the friend in any, in any situation. And so I, I love that you put the two together, that I don't just give it, that I also find ways to receive. And then lastly is, you know, receive it grace, gracefully, Re receive it graciously. You know, so often we'll get a compliment, we'll say, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. You know, don't, don't diminish the gift. When people give you those compliments or say nice things about you, say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, that, for those kind words. It means the world to me. That's honoring their gratitude. That's honoring the gift. I'm, I'm popping in here, Dana, because <laughs> I, Chester, I just caught uh, your TEDx talk at Fordham. And I have to say, for the number of audiences I've been in and the number of times I've been on stage, um, I was a musical performer, lead singer, band leader, etc. You're pointing out to the audience that when they give you a big round of applause, that they feel better too, and you feel better. I just thought that was a really keen insight because I, I just had never heard that pointed out, that it feels good to clap for people. You know, it does. And it's so interesting. Uh, many of us, and I include myself in this, you know, when people ask you for a favor, right? They say, hey, Paul, can you do me a favor? Your initial reaction is, of course, of course. And yet I'd be willing to bet that you're slow to ask for that favor, right? As, as many of us are, we're happy to give, we're slow to ask. So we were having this conversation. It was a, a, little, a little group that you know, we get together from time to time. We talk about various issues. And, and this woman said, you know, I, I have a real hard time asking for help. And we couched it like this. I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll make up a name. We'll, we'll say her name was Denise. I actually think her name actually was Denise, so th that'll be good. So she said, she said, you know, I have trouble asking for help. And I said, great. When someone asks you for help and you give it, how does that make you feel? She goes, oh, I always feel great. I always want to be the helper. And I said, great. Why would you deny someone that same feeling in letting them help you? And isn't that an interesting way to think about it? So not only is that interesting, gentlemen, what I want to add to this whole conversation is that there really is no gift if you don't allow someone to give. You actually take away the giving, and it's a little bit like a compliment. So when someone genuinely says something kind or nice or appreciative to you in gratitude, please say thank you and accept it. Try not to you know, throw up on the compliment. What do you think about that, Chester? You're exactly right, Dana. You're exactly right. And let me explain it to you in a little story. You know, I, I come from a family of five boys, and my father was one of the happiest guys that you would have ever met. His name is Dalton Elton. Go by Dalt. And it was so interesting. After church one day, this young kid comes up to my dad, and he says, uh, excuse me, Mr. Elton, can I ask you for a favor? 
And my dad said, sure, what is it? And he said, I, I, I just need a ride home. Can I get a ride home with you? And I go, absolutely not a problem. You know, give me five minutes, I'll meet you in the parking lot. Well, a couple of minutes later, the kid comes back to my dad and he says, oh, Mr. Allen, I, listen, I'm sorry I asked. I understand you live in West Vancouver. I live in North Vancouver. That's, that's going to be out of your way. Let, let me find another ride. And he said, son, the fact that it's out of my way, that's what makes it a favor. Get in the car. this idea about you know asking for help it's such a big deal so many people have muscled themselves through into this kind of self you know dependence and just like oh i can do it that's sort of the american spirit of i can do it i will reinvent the wheel every single day you know asking for help because it actually gives the person who helps you the opportunity to share their wisdom, or actually to discover something that they might not know about themselves. Sure. You know, there's a a great old saying, and I've heard it in different iterations, whether it's an African parable or, or South American or even Arctic explorers, you know, they say, look, if you want to go fast, uh, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's, that's what you're saying is say, look, we can do a lot of things on our own. We can power through, we can be the alpha male or the, the, the triple A personality, whatever you want to call it. And we can get a lot done and feel really good about ourselves. If we really want to create something amazing, if we really want to leave a legacy, you never do that by yourself. You always do that together. And the way that you do that is you ask for people to participate. You ask, you know, in a business sense, you ask for their opinion, their voices heard, their ideas are meaningful. It's the help that they give that continues to engage them, not just intellectually, also emotionally to your cause. And that's why, you know, as we were writing this uh, book on, on leading with gratitude, it became so evident that this is just a ridiculously smart way to lead an organization and lovingly enough and happily enough, a wonderful way just to live. Because I'll tell you what was fascinating, uh, you know, Dana and, and Paul, is that every great leader that we cited in the book, whether it was Ken Chenault, who was the past CEO of American Express, or uh, Kent Taylor, you know, the founder of Texas Roadhouse Restaurants, and on and on and on. Not only did they practice uh, that gratitude in their leadership style with their organizations, every one of them took it home. Every one of them used it in their personal lives. And for me, that was a, a really a wonderful awakening. And it just really warmed my heart that it wasn't just what they did. This just wasn't a system and a plan to make more money, right? This is really who they, who they are and, and the way they live. And it was wonderful that the two could come together in such a beautiful way. So Chester, I'm so glad we're going to talk about this topic of how are we going to create gratitude and appreciation when we're super stressed out and depleted at either work or home? What would you say to people that are struggling with either one aspect or facet of their life or the other in terms of creating more gratitude and joy and appreciation even when they're depleted? You know, I have two things that, that I do, and, and one I've done for a long time, and the other that I've, I've, I've learned more through, through COVID. Uh, first and foremost, when I, when I feel depleted, I, I do what we've been talking about. I go out and serve. I try to get outside of myself, you know, and I'll, I'll even wake up and I'll, I'll text all my kids. I'll text a friend. I'll, I'll find a way to, to try to add some value to get my mind off my depletion. The second one, and I find that this has really been 
as we've already talked about, it's, it's harder and yet really impactful, is reach out to friends and, and ask them for their help. Just say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm taking a mental health day today. I'm, there's a lot of things bugging me. Have you got some time just to spend with me? And, 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 you know, not talk me off the ledge, but just make me feel better about myself. I did this years ago and I hadn't learned the lesson, but I, I think it's a story that this is relevant. I was having a really tough day at work and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to email five or six of my closest friends. And the email read like this. I'm having a tough day. Email me a message and tell me I'm great. <laughs> and, and they all did, which was wonderful. That's when you know you have friends, right? One of my friends, Mike Goodson, who's been a dear friend for forever, he didn't just email me back. He said, great, great, great doesn't even come close to describing you, Chester. In the pantheon of great, they would have to add a second floor. You are beyond great. You are Spartacus. <laughs> And you know what? I, I printed that out and I put it up on my bulletin board for, for years, you know, and when it would get really rough and I'd feel like I'd screwed up or I'd disappointed somebody, I'd say, don't forget, man, you are Spartacus. Yeah, it reminds me, you know, that the negative bias discussion, right, that our brains are just wired for looking for trouble. And, um, you know, a lot of us wake up and we're kind of like ready for the alert. You know, what's gone wrong? What's on fire? And uh, some friends of mine said that they, they wake up in bed together, a husband and wife, and one says, it's a beautiful day. And the other says, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> Isn't that great? I'm just like, let's start off the day with the, you know, just rewiring the brain for positivity. You know, Paul, and, and now more than ever, right? How many of us, you know, wake up, you know, your alarm is in your phone and your alarm goes off. What's the first thing you do? Well, let me just check the news feed. Bad idea, right? Well, 90% of the news that you're going to get is horrible. And you're right. Our, our brains are wired like, what's going to go wrong? You know, we don't wake up saying, hey, what's going to go right today? You know, we wake up saying, what's going to go wrong? I love that. My wife and I have a tradition that I'd, I'd love to share with the listeners. At the end of every day, we wrap it up and we say, what are your three? And we say, what are the three things you're grateful for today? And it is just such a lovely way. You have to have come up with at least three. Often it's more than that. And sometimes it's simple things. You know, we had a good meal together or that it was a sunny day. And we both remarked that isn't it easier when it's a sunny day? It just for your attitude. We got to see the grandkids today, or we connected with an old friend. You know, gratitude journals, a lot of studies have been done, that when you end the day in, in, a, in a mode of gratitude, you sleep better, your blood pressure is a little lower, your relationships are a little better. So I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. I mean, start the day, rewire your brain, and at the end of the day, rewire your brain. There, there are little triggers that just help. So the other thing we can also teach people is that to get yourself out of a negative mental space, which Chester and Paul talked about, you can actually stop right then and there in your tracks and say five things. I don't know why I say five, Chester, but I do instead of three, five things you're grateful for. And it actually turns you around. So let's challenge the listeners right now. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a low mental health day, we're going to pump you up right now. So here's five things that you can be grateful for. You're breathing, you're sleeping, 
you have somebody around you that you love or you've talked to somebody that you love today. If you haven't, do it now. And perhaps it is that you have seen the sunrise or that you will be seeing the sunset. Some things that are sort of out there that are in your reach that don't need to take a ton of effort. They certainly don't require access to a whole lot of capital. Let's look for the little things and let's do it right now. So now we're going to move into the lightning round because I'm looking at the time and realizing we don't have much left. So I like to ask my guests if you have a quote you love, but before you do that, I actually picked out one of your quotes that I love and I'd like to read it now. So here we go. Manage to the one. If employees feel like you are making it possible for them to be their best self at work, they will give you their best work. I love that quote. I wanted to use that today. I have been known to say one size never fits all, but it always fits one. So for our listeners, you are the only one. You are a fingerprint. And we are here to really help you integrate that work life so that you can feel like you've got the ability to give grace, which Chester talked about, and gratitude in addition to receiving it. So with that, Chester, do you have a favorite quote that you would like to share before we do the lightning round? Yeah, you know, this was a, a quote that my dad um, gave to me. You know, I moved to the East Coast. He lived on the West Coast. He never figured out that time change thing. So, our, our like, the phone would ring at 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I'd say, Dad, Dad, is everything okay? He'd say, yeah. I'd say, well, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, yeah, it's only 11 o'clock here. I'm fine. And he said, here, you got to memorize this. And I'll never forget he called me up and he said, Chess, this is a really good one. He said, you know, you always want to be world-class in what you do. You always want to give your best. And yet we often make excuses. So remember this, excuses, even when valid, are never impressive. And I thought, he's right. Don't make excuses. Just do your best, get her done, and move on. I'd love my children to talk to you about that one. Can I send them your way? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> My older daughter says excuses will never lift up your butt because she's very into fitness and health and wellness. <laughs> she has other excuses for other things. Thank you for sharing that. That was so beautiful. Uh -huh. And it's amazing oh. how many of our influencers in our life aren't famous people, right? They're just regular people, whether it's a loved one, a parent, a sister, a brother, a niece, a nephew. So it doesn't have to be somebody famous to be a key influencer in our lives. I agree 100%. Chester, before we jump into that lightning round, you mentioned intentionality and discipline. And I would love to hear you just say a couple more words about how discipline plays into it. Well, you know, I think we can be intentional in a lot of the things that we want to do or that we'd like to do or that we aspire to do. And I think without the discipline to actually make it a regular routine, it can fall by the wayside. And, and specifically about gratitude, let, let me give you a, a, a perfect example. Uh, Adrian and I, as we were writing the book All In, we were able to interview um, a leader for Avis Budget Rental Car in Dallas, Texas, named Carlos Aguilera. And Carlos, by every measure, top of the charts, great leader, great retention, extraordinary customer service and, and customer retention. And I said, well, so what are some of the things you do to keep your people engaged? And he said, uh, you know, my best, best practice is 10 pennies. And I said, what do, you, what do you do with 10 pennies? He said, well, I set a goal to have 10 positive interactions with my people every day. That's his intention, 
right? And he would set up this little trigger of 10 pennies in the left pocket that every time he would have a positive interaction, he'd take a penny from his left pocket and put it into his right pocket. That's the discipline. And it was so fascinating because as we were talking to him, we were at lunch, he said, you know what? I've still got eight pennies in my left pocket. Give me a couple of minutes. I've got to engage with my people. So that's what I mean by intentional and discipline. We can be intentional about it without a trigger to set up, without an intention. You know, I have eight things that I try to do every day to make sure I'm on track, whether it's, you know, spiritually or physically or, you know, writing in my journal and, and so on and so on. Those kinds of things, that discipline is what makes the intention real and makes the results so much more gratifying. Is that helpful? Really excellent. Yeah. Again, reminding me about how the brain functions and that notion that, um, you know, cells that fire together, wire together. And this idea of taking, uh, starting a new task, like say learning the trombone, you know, and that you might have like no ability to play the trombone, but the more you work that part of the brain trying to play the trombone, it keeps wiring and more energy, more cells are built in that area. And uh, gradually it becomes easier, like water flowing, you know, in the river. In, you know, and you make such a good point here, Paul. And, and I, I, I do a lot of executive coaching now. And often, you know, as you're coaching executives or just coaching your kids, right, Dana, they'll say, well, I'm just going to do it because you're asking me to do it. And they go, great, that's a great start. That's an absolute great start. Do it because you're supposed to. And then to your point, the more you do it, the better you get. And it becomes less of what you do and more of who you are. It takes time to develop those habits. It takes time to really buy in. So, you know, it's, it's like learning to play the trombone or I'm going to start to run. You know, when, whenever you first start to do something, of course you're not good at it. Of course you're just doing it so you can check the box that day. And that's the perfect place to start. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my, my mantra is make a start. And I will say that to everybody, to my son growing up, to anybody that wants to do something new because I teach music, you know, is, is make a start. I remember that Peter Gabriel, who's a hero of mine, uh, talked about jogging and, and he pointed out that he is rarely in the mood to go jog, but he would just put on the sweatpants, you know, right. put, put on the uniform and then getting out the door was that much easier. I used to sleep in my workout gear because then I had no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> that is for real. So fact versus fiction, Chester, this one, of course, is to you. Measuring gratitude is possible. Fact or fiction? Fact, absolutely. Give us just two seconds on why. Back to our, our being intentional and disciplined. I mean, you can set a goal to write three thank you cards a week. You can set a goal to text somebody every day. And by the way, there are these things called these 360 degree, you know, assessments where your people can actually rate you, your people that are your stakeholders. It can absolutely be measured. People can measure how much you care about them, how much you interact with them. Uh, gratitude can absolutely be measured. And whether we realize it or not, you measure it every day in every relationship. Outstanding. How about this one? Asking for help is hard. Fact or fiction? Fact. <laughs> it's always hard. You know, we always want to be the super women, the super men, and say that we can do it all, all on our own. What asking for help requires and what we all need work on is it requires humility. 
uh, and that humility makes us better leaders, makes us better people. Uh, although I would submit it's rarely easy. I think it's always hard. I agree completely. Here's one more. Giving appreciation to someone at work or home is simple when you're depleted. Fact or fiction? Uh, I think it's harder when you're depleted. I think that's fiction. I think, you know, the more you can be in a good place yourself, the easier it is to give. Now, having said that, I think that when you're depleted, that's when you need to give it more than ever. So it makes it, it makes it harder, if all that makes sense. It does make sense. Do you have time before you share a favorite quote and then we'll wrap to tell us about maybe a time where you were depleted and then you found your way through that, made a conscious compromise or a trade-off with something you were working on with your time so that, in fact, you were able to give that appreciation or that leading with gratitude way of operating? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I'm like most people that, you know, we often get into the work mode to a point where we just think that work is so important all the time, you know, and I think particularly with COVID, uh, because many of us are working from home, the, the barrier between work and home life is just the door, you know, and so it's easy, easy to go back through that door and and with time change, we've got all the, all the ready-made excuses. Well, the time change, well, this, well, that, well, they really need it tomorrow and, or they, they really need it right now. Um, my wife was really helpful for me when this, she'd say, you know what, you've just got to turn it off. Yeah, you've got to leave your phone on your desk while we eat dinner. I need you to be present, you know. And then another friend of mine said, you know, there's nothing so important that it has to be answered right this second. Unless, of course, the building's on fire. And then she would say, is the building on fire? (laughs) (laughs) So with executives, we always talk about, is it urgent and important? And like by default, they say, yes, yes, yes. Everything's urgent and important. And in fact, when you unpack that a little bit, most things are not. And that translates into everyday real life, not just at work and not just if you're somebody leading a bunch of people in a company or a CEO. This is a universal principle. Most things are not urgent and important, despite that mental game we play with ourselves. So in Wrapping up, I'm going to say three things I'm grateful for. If there's one other quote you want to share, Chester, we'll give you the last word. You've certainly earned it today with all of your wisdom and knowledge. So I'm grateful for the time you spent with us and our listeners. Your wisdom and your vantage point is so refreshing. It's both personal and professional. I would actually call it universal, universal guru, Chester. There's another moniker to add to your (laughs) list. The second thing I would say is that you make your wisdom so accessible to people. You're on LinkedIn Live. You have published books. You're always producing different ways of people to hear your wisdom online, and they don't have to actually come and see you, although I really recommend it as someone who's had Tester come and speak to a big group. You make yourself so accessible, so I'm very grateful for that. And then the third and final thing is your personal stories. When you share your personal stories with the world, they relate and they can apply those pieces of wisdom to themselves in such an easy, simple, practical way. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's my three thank yous. You get the last word, sir. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm grateful for this time together too. You know, these, these sessions that we have when we talk things through is always helpful to solidify in your brain, those things that that really are important. And, uh, you know, my, my last word is, is that, um, 
Actually, Dana, we've written 12 books. And you know, I, people ask me often, what do you hope comes out of COVID on the other side? You know, as we go past this pandemic. And, you know, my hope on this, it's not really a quote, it's just a hope. I hope that through all of this, that three things happen. That we become more grateful for the simple things that we never took time to notice before, as as you've said so eloquently, both you and Paul. Secondly, is that we become more kind. We just become more kind. You know, my wife and I um, remark as we go for morning walks and whatnot, isn't it interesting that people seem to stop mm-hmm. a little sooner? They're just a little more careful. They're a little more gracious. They're a little more kind. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is, I hope we become more patient with each other, that we assume positive intent, that, you know, people come to work or they come to life wanting to do a good job. And in trying to do that, they're going to make mistakes. And that's okay you know, that we can be a little more patient with each other. So that's my, my triumvirate that I really hope does take hold and that is more lasting. That gratitude, kindness, and patience. And if we come out on the other end with those three attributes, then you know what? I think we'll be better off as, as business people and just as people. And patient with ourselves. And in signing off, ways to reach me. I'd love to hear from you. You can either find me on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Settle Smarter. And also my book is on amazon.com, Stop Settling, Settle Smart. And finally, I have my podcast also at Settle Smarter, wherever you hear your podcasts. And reach out. We'd love to hear from you on Harmony Beats Balance. Feel free to email me as well, Dana. That's D-A-N-A at Settle Smarter, because let's face it, we're all smart. We might always be smarter. Mm-hmm.